Isn't it great to have Pastor Greg back, folks? Yeah, like, like, like Elijah, he brought the rain with him, like Elijah from the hills. <laughs> All right. A what? Grandpa. I became a grandpa, yes, I did, in the last, I showed my, I showed a picture last week, yeah, of, of my young grandson, so, all right. All right, so we stay in Romans 8 this week, Romans 8, verse 28, just one verse today, we're going to let Pastor Greg handle the difficult verses next week, I left those for him, he didn't know that, but I did. All right, so, um, I'm just going to take the easy verse in Romans 8, 28, so let's pray, and then we'll get started, let's pray. Jesus, as we open your word, we Come with great expectation, Lord. We need to hear from you. Um, it's hard for us, Lord, to go on without your word to guide us. So we pray this morning again that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and make it clear how we're to live based on what we read and hear. In your name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite movies is a 2001 movie. It's called Serendipity. The story is about this Jonathan and Sarah who meet by chance at Christmas. And they kind of have these quick developing feelings, but they don't trust the feelings. And they, they say, this is a little bit too quick for this to work out. So they decide, rather than get together, they're going to break up. And they, they're going to they're trust their, uh, their love story to the universe, to fate. And what they do is, she writes her name in a random book at the bookstore. A random, random book, writes her name and her phone number in there. And he writes his name and phone number on the back of a $5 bill. And they say, if... They find these items down the road, they'll contact each other, and they'll get together. Okay? Sarah says to him this, Life is not merely a series of meaningless accidents or coincidences, but rather it is a tapestry of events that culminate in an exquisite, sublime plan. She says to him, you just have to have faith. He says, faith in what? And she says, destiny. Seven years later, it's revealed they do find the items, and they have to make a decision, are they going to contact each other or not? And, and this, as they're, they're actually both engaged at the time, and as, as their respective wedding days approach, they're trying to figure out what to do. Are they going to grab onto this second chance for love, this fate, this destiny, or are they going to let it go? I'm going to let you watch the movie and find out what happened. I'm not going to tell you. Okay? I'll leave you hanging on the edge of your seat. Now, these kinds of stories I find interesting because when you watch them, they raise the question of how life works. What's the guiding principle? What's the determining cause of how our lives work out? What is, you know, the bigger thing up there that's, that's guiding our lives? Is it fate, destiny, good luck, good fortune? Is it that we work hard and we get good lives, or we don't work hard, we get bad lives? The writer of the movie Serendipity would have us believe that when it comes to love, there's one person out there in the universe you're supposed to find. And your job is to go find that person, and the universe or fate or destiny will lead you to that one person. Okay. It's one way to think about marriage, right? What's God's will for your marriage? What's God's will for your life? Some people would say your God's will for your marriage is to commit to a person and then commit to love them the rest of your life. That's another way to think about marriage, right? This is just one example of these kinds of questions that we have when it comes to all of life. You know, who's in charge? What's governing our steps? How does the world, fate, destiny decide who gets what out of life? People don't really ask these questions very often, but when it comes to like a big disaster happening, then people really ask these questions. They get focused on them. Like when the World Trade Center fell, we heard dozens of stories about people who lost their car keys, didn't make it to work that day, and fate was friendly to them. They were lucky. 
or someone who decided they were sick that day or they had to take care of their kids or for whatever reason didn't make it to the World Trade Center or, or missed the plane that ran into the World Trade Center. And of course, that was just a lucky coincidence that they missed the plane and didn't get on the plane. Uh, people are always asking these questions. Is it luck? Destiny? How do you think it works? How do you think it works? Where do you put your faith when it comes out of your mouth? You know, I can't stand, to be honest, when people say to me, I go, I'm going to a camp to preach, and they say, good luck. <laughs> what? What does luck have to do with preaching the gospel, right? Or they say, you know, good luck when it comes to some of this stuff. Like, what? What are you talking about? So our passage today, Romans 8, 28, here's how it reads. It's on the screen. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Another way of translating the verse would be like this. We know all things work towards the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Now this verse offers a very dis- different explanation of how the world works. One's that consistent with scripture. Let's quickly get a feel for what this verse is saying. When it says that we know, it means that we have great confidence, not just in our heads, but deep in our hearts, we have great confidence that God is working all things out for his purposes. Okay, this morning as you sit here, do you have great confidence in your heart? Can you lean into the idea that whatever's going on in your life, God is actually working it out according to his purposes for the good? Okay, he's deeply concerned about you. He's deeply concerned about me. He's deeply concerned about the world. He's personally involved in it. It's not been turned over to some random luck or happenstance or fate or destiny. It's not some impersonal force. God is actively involved in governing the world out of his love and goodness as the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is our creator, our sustainer, our provider, and our friend. What has this good got up to? Well, he's working all things out towards our good, according to his plan for us and for the world. I like to think of it like this. I was at Pike's Peak a couple weeks ago at Colorado Challenge, and you know when you're on the ground, you can see all the hills. They look really big, and the buildings, and the people. Everything looks like you know it's right in front in front of you. You can only see so far. You get up on top of Pike's Peak. They say you can see seven states from there. When you get up on Pike's Peak and you look down, everything looks tiny. All those giant hills and foothills and buildings and people, all the big things in life look really tiny. So I like to think of God. He's up there with his bird's eye view and he's orchestrating a plan and a tapestry that we have no idea. We can only see a little bit of. Only right here in front of us. But God's orchestrating this amazing tapestry right from this bird's eye view of the world and that goes from both before time, through time, and after time. So we talk about God working all things out for the good. He's got a much bigger picture of things than we do. True? Even though we think we might know. Now this verse actually has some qualifications. It's still on the screen, I think. Paul says this, the good's being worked out to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So there's a human direction in this whole thing. Those who love God, who turn their love toward God, who love the Lord their God, at least to try with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now I'm going to say, this is not a qualification. It's not like God goes, well, I'm going to give Pastor Greg a little more blessing because he loves God way more than, you know, like... Jim Snowink out there, you know, that guy, he's, you know, whatever. You know, so I'm just saying, I'm just, pick, I'm just picking on Jim because I saw him. All right, um, but, you know, like, that's the thing. Like, it's not disqualification. It's like a description of people that love God. And then it says that God has a part in this, is that he is working out purposes, right? He's doing something 
work out his will in people's lives sovereignly for our good and the people that love him. This is also known in theological terms as providence. The definition of providence is the act of providing for or sustaining and governing the universe by God. Believe it or not, it's in the Heidelberg Catechism, question 27. Here it is, okay? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. Whoa. That means nothing can touch you that hasn't gone through the hand of God. Everything that touches your life has gone through the hand of God. It's not some accidental thing that comes your way. God is governing out your life. He's almightily working things out according to his purposes in the world. That's a pretty tough thing to think about, right? Kevin DeYoung, an author and preacher, writes about it this way. The story of the Bible is nothing if not a story of divine providence. On every page, in every promise, behind every prophecy, is the sure hand of God. He sustains all things, directs all things, plans all things, ordains all things, superintends all things, works all things after the counsel of his will. So let's just take a little ride through Scripture. Is DeYoung right? Or is he crazy? So think about it. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham's offered this covenant from God. I'm going to bless you, make you a great nation. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And then Abraham waits till he's 99 years old, has no kids. Why does God make Abraham wait till he's 99 years old? Because God wants Abraham to know and all the world to know that it's not by Abraham's power or strength that the covenant happens. It's by his power and strength. So when it's absolutely impossible for Sarah and Abraham to have a kid, God intervenes with his power and shows that he will bring about this covenant. He'll bring about this promise. And even though Abraham has a part in it, it's a very tiny little part. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Right? He's thrown in a pit, sold into slavery. He's accused wrongly by Potiphar's wife when he gets there of, of sexually assaulting her. He's thrown into prison. He's forgotten in prison. And then God helps him interpret a dream of the Pharaoh and he becomes the ruler of all of Egypt. And when his brothers show up on the scene and his father dies and they think he's going to kill us, he says this to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I love the story of Esther. The name of God is not even mentioned in the story and yet his fingers are in every part of the story. From a king's insomnia to a beauty contest, God is working out his purposes. You should read the book. It's an amazing book of God's providence, the book of Esther. Amazing. Or how about the book of Acts? Book of Acts, the, the church is told to go out and do the mission, make disciples of all nations. They're sitting in Jerusalem, and persecution breaks out in the church, and they're scattered all over the place. And it says wherever they go, they preach the gospel. I think in God's sovereignty, God's plan, he knows they're going to get comfortable in Jerusalem. So he gets some persecution. Through his hands come persecution, and the church scatters and keeps spreading the gospel. Wow. Really? God would send persecution to get us out of our seats? Yep. He will. Because he doesn't want us in our seats. He wants us to carry out his mission in the world. The scripture continues. Check these out. 
We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Wow, could you even win the lottery if the Lord determines how the dice fall? Ooh, what about the Chicago Bulls or the Chicago Blackhawks just got Connor Bedard? Was that fixed or was that God's thing? I don't know. Is he orchestrating all things according to his purposes? I don't know. That's kind of crazy, but I'm just throwing it out there. You know, look at this. Look at Proverbs. In our hearts, we make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. How about Psalms? All the days were written in your book before one of them came to be. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. Now we can keep going. It's on every page of the Bible. And I can hear the objections. Wait a minute, Klein. You mean we don't get a choice in the matter? You mean us humans, we're just like little robots being, like little ants being pushed around by God? What are you you talking about? Well, sure you get some choices. You know, Israel is led to the edge of the promised land. Moses leads them there after two years in the wilderness. They They have gone through the Red Sea. They've seen miracles in the desert. They've received the Ten Commandments from the hand of God. And now they're told, go into the land and take the land. And what do they say? Ah, we're too afraid. We don't want to do it. There's giants there. Okay, God says, fine. And for 38 years, he sends them into the wilderness where they all die off. And eventually their children take the promised land. So they get where they're supposed to go, but just not in the right time. Or how about Jesus when he meets the rich young ruler? He says to him, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. It says in the verse that he looked at him and he loved him. And then he said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away. And Jesus didn't chase after him and say, hey, I didn't mean it. I I can make it easier for you. He just let him walk away. Had a choice. Think of it like this. Let's say you're planning a trip to Florida with your family. You're going to head down to Florida and you get out your little atlas and there you got several options, don't you? You got, you know, you could take the, the regular option, which is 294 to 65 to 24 to 75. It's probably the quickest way, less miles. But it can be full of traffic. It can be a nightmare. So then you have the alternative interstate, which is 57 to 24 to 75. A little less aggravating, 35 more miles, but less aggravating. Or maybe you could take the, you know, 231 to 431, go through all the little towns, see a lot more scenery, cool sights and history, the whole thing. And, you know, you, it'll take you a lot longer. You'll have less time in Florida, but it'll be an amazing journey on the way, right? You can decide. But guess what? The choices are limited because the roads are already built. There's only so many choices you have on the journey. The roads are already there. Someone predetermined where the roads are. Providence. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Freddie Beatner says this. This is not on the screen. I added this late in the game. So here we go. Deep within history, as it gets itself written down in history books and newspapers, in the letters we write and in the diaries we keep, is sacred history. Is God's purpose working itself out in the apparent purposelessness of human history and of our separate histories? So we have one big question left this morning, and that is, so who cares? What's this mean for us? Right? And there's actually three quick things it means for us. First is this. We can trust in God and persevere in patience and faith when things don't go our way. Because we can trust and know that God's up to something. It says in Romans that he works in all things. Look at Romans 11.36. This is great. This is the Amplified Version. For from him all things originate, and through him all things live and exist, and to him are all things directed. 
All things really? You stub your toe and break your toe? All things. You get into a fender bender? All things. You win the lottery? All things. Your kid does something dumb? One of your parents' health begins to fail? You and your spouse hit a rough patch? You get hurt in your sport? You have to sit out? You get really sick? Maybe even die? All things. All things. That's crazy to think about. Can you trust that God is involved in all the things that have happened in your life? That he is working them out, that they have gone through his fingers to get to you. That he's up to something. That God's up to something. He's saying something. He's transforming you into his image. He's working out his will in all things. That's crazy. Frederick Beatner again, this one's on the screen. The question is not whether the things that happen to you are chance things or God's things, because of course they are both at once. There's no chance thing to which God cannot speak. Even the walk from the house to the garage that you have walked 10,000 times before. Even the moments when you cannot believe there is a God who speaks at all anywhere. He speaks, I believe. And the words he speaks are made alive, incarnate in the flesh and blood of ourselves, of our own footsore and sacred journeys. Beekner talks about the walk from the house to the garage. Because that's the walk his father took before he took his life in the garage. That's his story. Now the problem with us is we tend to clench our fists, grit our teeth, get angry when things don't go our way. Right? We get mad. We get mad at God. Like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Can we actually ponder and stop and say, what's God up to? We even do this for our kids. We shield our kids from any pain or difficulty because heaven forbid that they have pain or difficulty when in reality it might be the best teacher they ever have in their lives to go through the pain and difficulty, right? No one can tell you how things will turn out for you. I can't, no one can. But if you know the Bible and you know that God's good and he's got your best interest at heart and you can trust and you can lean into what he's doing in your life and you can take the stuff that goes in your life and you can help surrender to God's work there to make it into pearls of amazing stuff. Here's a little poem for you. I love this poem. There once was an oyster, whose story I tell, who found that sand got under his shell. Just one little grain, but it gave him such pain. For oysters have feelings, although they're so plain. Should he berate the working of fate that brought him to such a deplorable state? No. As he lay on the shelf, he said to himself, if I cannot remove it, I'll try to improve it. So the years rolled by, as the years always do, and the oyster arrived at his destiny, stew. Now the morsel of sand which had bothered him so was a beautiful pearl, a richly glow. His tale is immoral, for isn't it grand what an oyster can do with a morsel of sand? What couldn't we do if we'd only begin with all the things that get under our skin? So what's God doing with the sand in your shell? Because again, the oyster does it on his own. But according to Providence, God is at work in all of these sandy things that are under our skin. So that's the first thing. Lean in, trust, wait for God, find out what he's up to and the difficulty. Secondly, be thankful. You know, when, when things are going amazing, don't take credit, be thankful. Like, give glory to God for the amazing things in your life, your family, your job, your finances, whatever it is. I mean, you know, my putter in my golf bag 
my putter. I've had it for 20 years. You know how I got there? I was speaking in California at a Christian school. I went golfing with a bunch of farmers. These were farmers with like really big farms. So we're golfing and they're watching me play with my putter, which at the time was like a used 25 cent putter from the whatever store. And I'm playing with this putter and the one guy says, hey, Klein, I got, a, I got a putter problem because I just blame the putter for my bad putting. So I just keep buying new putters. Come with me to my car. This is at the break between the nine, the nine holes. So we go to his trunk. He opens his trunk. There's like 10 putters in there. <laughs> so I take three of them out. And he says, just use them for the nine holes. So I use three of them. And at the end, he goes, which one do you want? And I, I got my putter. I can thank God for my, every time I play golf, I thank God for my putter. It was free. He just gave it to me. Right? This is how God is. He's at work in your life doing amazing things. Thank him for all the amazing things in your life. And then finally, finally, we can believe God is at work to bring us a good future. Our future is in the hands of God. We can be confident in his perfect plans for us. Ephesians 1 says this. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. His, he thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan, which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. The Bible characters, they believed that they were in relationship with a skillful author who was writing an amazing story. They were part of it. Their story might not work all out on planet Earth, but they believed this God who was up there with the bird's eye view was writing this amazing tapestry, and they could trust in that and lean into that. And if you think about it, folks, even the plan of salvation is God's providence because he hid from the enemy. The first Corinthians says he hid from the enemy what was going to happen. Because if the enemy knew that Jesus would rise from the dead, he would have just kept... He would have just not killed Jesus. But he hid from the enemy so the enemy would go ahead with his plan. And when Jesus breathed and walked out of that tomb, boom. Right? Death was defeated. Sin was over. And there was a whole new thing to go through. And that's what we're going to celebrate right now at the Lord's Supper. So let me pray. And then Pastor Greg's going to come lead us. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for this reminder of your hand at work. Thank you that we can trust and lean into your goodness, your love, your purpose for us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.